Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 218, Dave. This is the 42nd overall episode and there are 79 to go. First a bit of show news. You can now hear Looking Back at Lost while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. It features on-demand news, talk, and more for your mobile phone. The latest episode is always available for you, no syncing needed, and no memory or storage wasted. Stitcher is available on your iPhone, Android phones, webOS phones, or even BlackBerry. Downloading is easy by just going to stitcher.com or by checking your app store. Stitcher Smart Radio is a smarter way to listen to radio. So thank you very much uh, for anybody who is listening via uh, the Stitcher app. And uh, welcome indeed, and let's now get into the Wikipedia summary for this episode, Dave. In flashbacks, Hurley is in a mental institution where he is friends with Dave, who tells Hurley to ignore the doctors, avoid his medication, and try to escape. One day, Hurley's doctor, Dr. Brooks, proves to Hurley that Dave is not real by taking a photo of the two, then showing Hurley that Dave is not in the picture. Later that night, Dave wakes Hurley up to escape with him from the Institute. Dave hops out of the window, but Hurley confronts him and declares that Dave is not real, and shuts the window on him before going back to bed. On the island, Hurley confesses to Libby that he has an eating disorder, and shows her a stash of Dharma food. Hurley expresses interest in getting rid of it, and she encourages him to do so. Just after Hurley destroys his supplies, other survivors go into the jungle. Following them, Hurley and Libby see that an enormous package of food parachuted from the sky. Later, Hurley panics at the suggestion of again being in charge of the supplies and sees Dave and tries to follow him as he goes into the jungle. After Hurley loses Dave's t- trail twice and attacks Sawyer for mocking him, he decides to leave the beach and live in the caves. On the way, Dave reappears and tells Hurley that everything that has happened since the night of the escape attempt has been a fantasy. But after Dave escaped, Hurley went into a catatonic state and has imagined everything since. As proof, Dave points out the appearance of the numbers said by another intern, Leonard, in both Hurley's winning lottery ticket and the hatch computer. Dave takes Hurley to a cliff and tells him to jump and get out of his dream before jumping off himself. Before Hurley can decide whether or not to follow Dave, Libby finds him. Hurley states to her that all that is happening is not real and is only a comatose dream, including herself. But Libby convinces him otherwise, in part by kissing him. In the hatch, Saeed and Anna Lucia interrogate Henry Gale. After Henry's new cover story is proved false, Henry finally admits that he is indeed an other, but says he would be killed if he talks. Later, Locke confronts the prisoner demanding to know if he let himself be caught, thinking it might have been to find the swan. Henry, however, calls the hatch a joke, saying that during the lockdown he never entered the numbers into the computer or pushed the button. He simply stood there and watched the numbers turn to red hieroglyphs before they reset back on their own. 
However, Locke replies angrily that Henry is lying. He replies that he is done lying. The episode ends in flashback, during the moment that Dr. Brooks took the picture of Hurley and Dave. Another patient is staring at Hurley from across the room, Libby. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. You know, there are episodes of Lost that haven't aged at all. They're still as fresh and vibrant as when they first uh, aired. These are oftentimes the very best episodes. There's some episodes that uh, haven't aged as well, in part because uh, perhaps the mystery in them is uh, something that we have the answers to, so so the, um, oh, the rewatch is a bit less interesting. Um, and there are some episodes that uh, that aren't very good. It's, you know, it, it's a small number of episodes that aren't very good, but there are some of those uh, uh, indeed. This is an episode, I think, a, a rare episode, that is significantly better on rewatch. It's significantly better um, after the conclusion of the series, after the conclusion of the finale and uh, the episodes leading up to that, the return of Libby in the um, in the Flash Sideways world. Um, the performance that Cynthia Watros gives consistently in this episode is... So it's almost notable for being so good. Now, this is a show that is is immersed in excellent uh, regular actors, uh, as she is this season, in uh, you know fantastic recurring guest actors. Uh, the actors playing Christian Shepherd, um, Rose Bernard, uh, come to mind. Richard. Um, it's a show that even in in very small parts. Uh, whether they recur or not, uh, let's say Hurley's father, Hurley's mother, um, oh, Kate's father, you know, there's, there's excellent casting and excellent acting, uh, rarely, if ever has the show been fairly, uh, criticized for, for the quality of acting, uh, from anyone, but and I'm certainly not trying to skip to the very end of the episode, but the end of the, uh, the the end of the episode has the best acting out of Cynthia Watros. But it is caliber, you know. If, if the normal caliber of acting on the show is excellent, then then her acting in this is supreme. She communicates throughout the entire episode in, in all her scenes. She communicates such tenderness, uh, emotion, sympathy, um, love. Uh, it's remarkable and it makes the ending of course uh, i would say one of the few painful endings to the show it 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 is difficult to watch on an emotional level at, at least it was for me but that's something that we can get to in uh in due course uh in the course of this podcast uh, let's talk chronologically as we always do uh the episode starts with no previously on lost which was a nice change certainly uh, it just starts with that quiet progression of Libby, or at least picking up that quiet progression that we've seen over a number of episodes. Uh, there have been bits and pieces leading up to this. Um, it, uh, you know, it's it's finally the the time has come. Uh, Hurley hints at having a food stash and a food uh, addiction, and even here, Jorge Garcia's uh, acting is is quite good. Uh, you know, I don't know how much is character how much might be stuff on his own mind or past or whatever but we're focusing here of course on the character 
Uh, the character of Hurley looks truly pained. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's setting the tone for, for excellent acting in the episode. Uh, I love, as well, the irony of Libby saying to just get rid of the food. Uh, it's a fun scene of Hurley taking control of what ails him, albeit rather wastingly, isn't there? You know, uh, whether it's, you know, one of our main characters, or whether it's some background character, you know, I'm sure they'd like to have a little snack here or there. But fine, you have to wrestle your own demons. Um, of course, viewers will remember from last week that this is all for naught. Uh, despite the freeing Giacchino music and the growing love story, we know that there's, uh, you know, manna from heaven, that that food drops from the sky and, and indeed did uh, in the last episode. Um, and, in you know, in due course, uh, Libby and Hurley are interrupted by the thing which ails them most, the food drop, of course. And uh, this time it's being uh, democratically, but rather deliberately picked over by survivors kind of bordering on uh, uh, on an animalistic response. Uh, I love that in that scene, Sawyer and Charlie both agree that there's a need for order, right? We kind of have, I mean, certainly Sawyer is kind of on the, on the fringe of uh, society. And, you know, yes, Charlie has made a number of poor choices, but I think in many ways, you know, to the degree that Charlie is on the fringe of society or was in the real world, it's the other end. He's lived through excess. He also has lived the you know the greatest successes in his life have been because of society. People buying those records, buying those uh, concert tickets. It's because of the masses that he's kind of been elevated out of the center, out of some middle class existence, to be wealthy, to 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 have access to very expensive drugs. Uh, to be, you know, living the good life that that a rock and roll star does. So here they are, kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, but they both need that normal order, and they both would accept Hurley as the food boss. Uh, Hurley, of course, declines, and um, understandably so, given he's trying to to you know throw the uh, throw off the the yoke of uh, being in charge of the food added irony as well when he ends up uh, being part of the Dharma initiative in season five, he's uh, in the food department. Uh, anyhow, Libby declares that everyone should just uh, go their own way. It's this kind of Jeffersonian show of reliance on one's own individual goodness. It's probably a bit too optimistic, but uh, I think her heart is in the right place as is so true with him, with him, with her apologies, Ms. Watros. Um, it's at that point that Hurley sees Dave's. Uh, this is when uh, wives and girlfriends happily declare that that's the guy from Sex and the City, uh, Evan Handler, who played one of the husband guys. Uh, with that, we go to the title card. And uh, afterwards, Libby gives voice to our coincidence versus fate ponderings. Pretty weird, huh? Said the island won't let you lose weight. You destroy your stash and bang. Or food falls from the sky. How about that? I'm proud of you. Proud of me for what? Not freaking out. It's uh, it's kind of the opening salvo to something which will be a um, 
a topic of discussion for the episode and uh, an area of concern for the network, as you'll hear in the Lostpedia section, um, you know, this this notion of what what is a dream? What is what is Hurley hallucinating? Um, and it's also an example there of Libby uh, Libby's kindness. With that, we go to uh, to flashback, the first flashback, and uh, we see that Bruce Davidson is the psych doctor. It's this point where uh, uh, I suppose the uh, the Sex and the City influence kind of gets uh, gets balanced out because husbands and boyfriends see Bruce Davidson and declare that that's the senator from the X Men movies. Uh, I like too that there's this extended tease of Dave being a real guy. Um, it's very, very well hidden. Um, I think you, you know, unlike, let's say lock in a wheelchair in walkabout, I I don't think that you see this one coming. And if you do, if you suspect it, there's not really, I mean, there's enough evidence. Um, you know, the, the, in the basketball game, they won't pass the ball to him and, it's kind of, you know, I mean, there's enough for you to form an opinion, but not not to the degree of, hey, we never see, you know, Locke standing up and we never, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyhow, back to this episode, the the appearance of Dave, it's also a knock at Hurley as an unreliable character. And um, for the purposes of the flashback story, it also makes Hurley kind of an unreliable narrator of sorts. Uh, for the episode, we're seeing things from his point of view, more or less. Um, that's unusual for the flashbacks. Generally, we're seeing them in uh, in a third person narration, a clear third person narration. Uh, oftentimes, it's third person limited narration, so we're we're limited to the 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 things surrounding. Uh, the character that we're following, but uh, we're still seeing more than they see. With this, we're we're rather limited to um, just Hurley's point of view. Um, I mean, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. Certainly, it's it's at the service of of learning more about Hurley, his hallucination. It's at the service of the zinger at the end. But um, just a, a point of a point of mention, I suppose. Uh, the story then moves to the hatch. Hawk has a uh, Hawk Locke has a hairline fracture in his leg, uh, and he refuses. Interestingly enough, he refuses to even consider the quote unquote random wheelchair that they have at the beach. This, of course, being his wheelchair. Um, then there's some standard recap dialogue about Ben not trying to escape and Jack reminding Locke about the fake story of Henry Gale. Uh, it's a nice little recap. It's not super hidden, but it also isn't too long. Um, with that, we cut to the hatch and Ben has his arms tied up just above head level or perhaps even a bit above head level. In my mind, it's a very intentional Christ-like pose. The camera even holds the shot for a moment as well. Um, obviously Ben is, Ben is no Christ, uh, at any point in the story, Ben is consistently, um, you know, making these negative choices uh, up to, up to, you know, the the final episode, and even the fact that he doesn't uh, doesn't uh, pass uh, pass through at the church is, you know, further proof of, of his uh, his ills, his evils. 
But uh, I mean, I think it's just kind of the show messing with us a bit. Or at the very least, Ben presents himself as a Christ-like figure of sorts. He's the one saying, oh, you know, uh, the, you can trust me. You can believe me. I'm so pure. Um, so uh, that, of course, is contrasted by the fact that uh, in that scene, then, uh, Ben then spins more lies. I was part of the search party. Henry Gale was hanging out of the basket, neck broken. So he was already dead? Yes. And then you buried him and left the grave mark? Yes. You really should have checked his wallet before you did that. I assume Henry Gale did not have any paper on which to compose his thoughts, so he had to improvise. There wasn't much space for that. Jennifer. Well, you were right. Crossing the Pacific isn't easy. I owe you a beer. I'm hiking to one of the beaches to start a signal fire. But if you're reading this, I guess I didn't make it. I'm sorry. I love you, Jenny. Always have, always will. Yours, Henry. So tell me, how did Henry Gale write a note to his wife with a broken neck? Uh, oops. <laughs> Uh, it's great to see Ben stunned and frazzled. He had it all figured out. Tell a little white lie as, uh, Henry Gale's search party guy in order to protect himself from, uh, these crazies. Uh, except the real Henry Gale has outsmarted Ben from beyond the grave. And, uh, it's, I mean, it's just, uh, anytime you get Saeed to monologue as well, it's also just, uh, so much fun, such great fun. We also get uh, from Ben some fake fear, along with uh, something that either is debatable backslapping or true adoration. Please, just listen. I'm just a... Uh, How many of you are? <laughs> if I tell you about them, you have no idea what he'll do. He? You mean their leader? The guy with the beard? Him? He's no one. Nothing. Where are your people? I can't. How many of you are there? You don't understand. Understand this. Hey. You have three seconds to answer my question. So the question is, who's the him? Is Ben patting himself on the back as referring to the great, you know, leader among them, Ben? Uh, is he tooting his own horn and, and imagining how he hopes uh, someone else would uh, would act in this situation? Is that the him, or is the him Jacob, who uh, who Henry, who Henry, who uh, Ben fears and respects? For my money, Ben is probably talking about himself. Um, he's just tooting his own horn of awesomeness. He is—it's so in line with him. He's so arrogant that here he is talking about himself and how fearful and awesome and powerful he is. Um, because I don't think Jacob ever presents himself as someone to to fear. Um, so, Ben, you sly devil, you talking about yourself. Said, of course, uh, almost shoots him. Uh, you know, pulls the trigger and misses because Anna Lucia stops him. Uh, and with a bit of tension relieved, we go to commercial. 
After the act break, uh, the story's on the beach. Echo, the shirtless wonder, is continuing to build his church. Charlie, wearing a red shirt, starts to help him. But, uh, of course, Echo will not reveal what he is uh, building. Uh, which is kind of annoying for us as viewers. I mean, it's another mystery thrown in uh, in the mix. Um, also, too, I don't really think much comes of Echo's church. Uh, so I don't know if it's a bit a bit of a fake out, but um, say la vie. Uh, with that, we cut to Hurley uh, finding goldfish crackers and chowing down big time on them. Uh, he sees Dave, who throws a coconut at him to prove that he's real. Now, just as a side note, I mean, obviously, we know Dave is not real, but is it really proof when a crazy person sees crazy things and feels crazy things? Um, Hurley kind of you know, does accept that rather quickly. I suppose that uh, that only adds to the notion of um, you know him him having this mental moment here. Uh, a chase ensues, and we go to a flashback and four, eight, fifteen. Ah, uh, dude. Pretty sneaky, Leonard. Using those magic numbers of yours is a psych out, aren't you, man? Oh, yeah, that's right. You just play dumb. I'm on to your juju, man. Just numbers, dude. Leonard! Isn't it good to have him back mumbling his numbers? Which, uh, of course, in, in what is, uh, has got to be intentionally ironic, it's uh, Hurley dismissing the numbers as being just numbers. Uh, at that point, Dr. Brooks comes in to take the Polaroid of Hurley and not Dave. Uh, and I love that Brooks doesn't have the proper eye line to uh, Evan Halder, who's playing Dave. That is to say, Brooks is not looking into Dave's eyes. They're not looking at each other, uh, or at least Brooks is not looking at Dave, because to Brooks, Dave is not there. Uh, Brooks is looking roughly where Dave would be, but it's just not exact. Uh, it's an excellent touch from director Jack Bender or whoever else made the decision. Uh, I suppose in retrospect, it is a tad obvious if you had to, uh, you know, if you were in charge of directing the scene, uh, you know, it's a logical enough, uh, you know, acting note, but uh, a nice, uh, a nice one nonetheless to see in the episode. Uh, Hurley then fakes taking his meds uh, so that Dave can help break him out. Um, and, uh, when Hurley reveals to Dave that he didn't take them, Dave responds with a dude. It's another hint that, uh, Dave is Hurley, simply put. Uh, with that, we go back to the island and, uh, Hurley hits up Sawyer for clonazepam, the psych medicine, but not before Sawyer remarks that, uh, Sawyer himself has enough food now to open a mini mart. Sawyer then wonders if Saeed would like a job there. It's an interesting line that the show walks with that. Uh, I suppose because Sawyer is the off-color rogue, a, a racist joke is allowed. Is that is that why we chuckle as opposed to, you know, feel feel upset uh, at at such a joke? Food for thought, I suppose. Um, Sawyer, of course, goes one joke too far, and Hurley ends up pummeling him. I love that in that scene they they kind of go the cartoon route. Both end up under the tarp. Sawyer crawls out twice, only to be pulled back in twice. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderfully amusing scene. Uh, Sawyer's such a such a complex character that we love, despite him being so despicable, so repeatedly, so many times. 
uh, you know, somehow that charm just uh, just overwhelms us. But um, on the flip side, it's just such a joy to see him pummeled for all these mean comments that he makes to so many characters, perhaps Hurley at the top of the list in terms of the, the meanness. Jin ends up breaking up the fight. And uh, after the act break, Sawyer is complaining about it to Kate, who uh, at that point just gamely shows up in the episode with not much to do. It's kind of trying to work her work her in there. Uh, Libby arrives to talk to Hurley, and uh, she continues to show such earnestness and heartfelt, well, love for Hurley. Um, and it only helps, you know, make the ending of the episode all the more shocking. But uh, at any rate, so here Libby is talking to Hurley, who is, uh, who's packing up. What? It's a lot of peanut butter. I'm going to need a lot of protein where I'm going. Where are you going? Back to the caves. No one lives there anymore, so it won't bother anybody. He's going to live alone and be one of those guys. You know, the crazy guys with a big beard and no clothes who's naked and throws duty at people. A big beard who's naked and throws duty at people. Lovely, just wonderful. Um, I'll mention, too, uh, the reason that we don't see the caves ever again, uh, at least to my knowledge, is that the show the show had two sound stages. One was for storage, the other one was for shooting. So at any given time, you could only have one main sound stage going and one big, uh, one big recurring set, and then I, I suppose room on the soundstage for for whatever smaller sets might be needed. And it's worth mentioning too that, of course, the show uh, very very often would be shooting on uh, uh, on location um, at, at you know real places uh, in and around uh, well, not even around Hawaii, real places in Hawaii. But um, you're not Hurley's never going to be seen returning to those caves because they struck that set and have since built the uh, have since built the hatch there. At any rate, so Hurley uh, leaves the beach. He runs into Dave in the woods, and then we uh, we flash back into another session with Doctor Brooks. Hurley admits that uh, his looks and weight are the central issue. That a deck collapse uh, killed people, and that's that's kind of led to. Uh, the tr- you know that's the central trauma in Hurley's life, which has brought him to the uh, to the to the uh, mental institution here. I have to say though, it is slightly made trite by the fact that there were twenty three people on the deck built for eight. Must we go the numbers route? Uh, I think it's just one little joke too far. Um, it's just you know Hurley's having this kind of uh, bottom of the barrel moment where he he's opening up to what ails him in life and they're kind of you know having the cutesy moment of the numbers appearing a bit anyhow hurley uh, also pits dave versus dr brooks saying that dave cares for him and dr brooks does not and the show teases it well certainly uh, brooks tells hurley that he has something upsetting to share then shows him the photo we only see the back of the polaroid then hits us with the dialogue Dave isn't your friend because Dave doesn't exist. Shocking stuff indeed, especially on first viewing. I mean, perhaps it's, it's a tad sarcastic now. You watch it for the first time. It's not that conclusive that Dave is, isn't is real. Even if you're playing along at home, trying to outsmart the show, maybe you think you figured it out, figured it out 
really what you have is a theory that requires the show to confirm it or deny it, and here it gets confirmed. So it's a, it's a nice moment. Uh, we have an act break, then uh, Dave waking Hurley up for the big breakout. Dave also has another Hurley moment, by which I mean revealing uh, in, in a subtle way that he really is um, uh, the product of Hurley's mind. He, he first argues that the Brooks photo could have been caked, uh, faked via Kinko's and Photoshop, which, you know, reasonable enough, I suppose, then asks Hurley if he supposes that they really blew up the Death Star. Star Wars reference, right up Hurley's alley, uh, because it's right out of Hurley's brain. And, I mean, come to think of it, too, Dave also drops a lot of Spanish into his conversation, including telling uh, the lagging Hurley to Vamanos. So, all all kind of lovely shading. I'm certainly not trying to make the argument that Dave is... Is, uh, is a product of Hurley's imagination. The show tells you. But uh, I'm just pointing out some of those, those little details there. Uh, I like, too, that there's this nice visual slash literary touch that Hurley forces Dave out um, in, in this flashback story, forces him out by literally locking him out. Hurley closes the lockable window with Dave on one side and Hurley on the other. Um, it's just kind of a nice... You know, I mean, I don't know if that sort of thing is actually done in in therapy or with hallucinations, but it definitely is this, you know, Hurley hallucinates locking Dave out, therefore Dave is locked out of Hurley's hallucinations by Hurley's own doing. Um, And, of course, the contrast is nice, too, because on the island, Hurley can't get rid of Dave. Um, During the course that, uh, that this flashback has occurred... Uh, Hurley has closed his eyes on Island to try and get rid of Dave, and then he opens them, and Dave is still there. So, nice contrast, certainly. Uh, Dave, of course, then explains that things will get worse before getting better, and I couldn't help but notice that Dave could not keep eye contact. Uh, I'm, I know this is something that the actor does in other things, too. You know, yes, I've been roped into watching and mildly enjoying the Sex and the City movie, uh, and I noticed even then that after the baby is born, he can't freaking look anyone in the eye for some strange reason. Just an actor thing, but it's very present here as he starts to, you know, Dave kind of has his, uh, I mean, it's not quite a monologue because Hurley, you know, interjects every so often. But Dave has a big chunk of dialogue here and it's like, can you please stop looking at his shoulder or looking at the ground while you talk endlessly? But anyhow, uh, Dave, in the course of this conversation, starts to be the audience, and he ends up giving us one of our own theories. See, here's the thing. Uh, none of that ever happened. You're still at Santa Rosa, man. You never left the hospital. That's not possible. It's hard, I know. But, I mean, all this, you, me, this island... That peanut butter, none of it's real, man. None of it's happening. It's all in your head, my friend. The second you closed that window, your brain popped a gasket. You went back into your little coma thing. And that's where you are right this very second. In your own private Idaho, inside Santa Rosa. So, I had my mom, my friend Johnny. I won the lottery. Whoa, wow, awesome, dude. What numbers did you play? Leonard's numbers, right? 
from the hospital? What a coincidence. You, uh, seen him around anywhere else? The hatch? Bingo! The hatch. With the button that you gotta push every 108 minutes or the world ends. Oh, 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 and, and what's the code for the button? Oh, yeah. The numbers. But I got better. Changed. Chain? What are you kidding me? Take a look at yourself. You've been on a deserted island for over two months and you haven't dropped ten pounds. How is that even possible, man? I just destroyed my stash. I've been exercising. Libby says it won't happen overnight. Oh, right, right, Libby. A mega cute blonde chick who magically appeared from the other side of the island. Oh, oh, oh yeah. And who just happens to have the hots for you. It's great that the show not only shares these theories, but almost hits them head on. Uh, and they're, they're shining a light on these connections, uh, particularly the numbers in general, but generally the construct of this drama. And it almost hurts the audience to have it suggested that none of this is legitimate. And I don't mean legitimate in the sense of it being, you know, actually real, but just kind of pulling aside the, uh, pulling aside the curtain a bit to remind us that these are awfully, awfully tight coincidences, um, which really, at this point, let alone here we are at the end of the series, that really don't have a connection. I mean, Hurley didn't win the lottery. You know, he won them because of the numbers, but it's not. It, it wasn't. You know, the Dharma Initiative and, or or the others or any of this sort of thing going on. It's just one of those funny things in life. But when you shine a light on it, it sounds borderline fake, um, which as we'll hear in the Lostpedia section, was a huge concern of, uh, of the network at the time. Um, the dialogue continues. Dave kind of monologues for a bit, and then he brings Hurley to a cliff, declaring this is it, the big finale. Uh, he ta- talks to Hurley of attempting suicide to quote-unquote wake up from this dream. But I couldn't help but think of the fight between Jack and Smokey Locke in the big finale, you know, the final episode, that was on the edge of a cliff. Uh, what is this a planned reference? I doubt it, but does it completely work? Yes. You know, here we are. This is it, the big finale uh, on the cliff. Um, nice little touch. And uh, indeed, speaking of some of those other characters, uh, after the act break, we return to see Locke in the hatch, wanting to get answers from Ben, who at this point still wants to be called Henry. This place is a joke, John. What are you talking about? I crawled through your vents and I stood at your computer as the alarm beeped. And you know what happened? The time I went all the way down to zero. And then some funny red pictures flipped up in its place. They looked like hieroglyphics. But I'm no expert. And then things got real interesting. There was a loud clunking and a hum like a magnet, a big magnet. It was really very frightening. And do you know what happened next? Nothing happened, John. Nothing happened at all. Your time would just slip back to 108. Oftentimes for clips, uh, if there are long pauses in the middle of a conversation or a monologue, uh, I'll cut that out 
Uh, the pauses are usually less noticeable in the visual medium because, you know, the actor is acting. They're, they're doing more uh, than just using their voice. Um, but when it's audio, you know, it's kind of noticeable that they're just these dead clips. You know, you know, there's dead air in between what they're saying. For Ben, though, I just couldn't. His delivery is so wonderful and stilted. Uh, he kind of almost speeds up at the wrong times. He depending on the emotion that he is feeling he won't speak in the normal cadences of a sentence at the end of the sentence pause period start again it, there'll be kind of this you know speed up slow down uh rhythm which is all his own and i i just kind of couldn't couldn't go against it um at, at at any rate it's you know in terms of the content of that clip Ben's lies clearly are meant to destabilize Locke. Uh, the way out, Ben thinks, I propose anyway, the, the way out, Ben thinks, is through Locke's own weakness. Uh, that weakness that we see time and time again, uh, despite kind of the veneer of, uh, you know, hunter man. Don't forget that Ben has heard Locke having a fit over tensions on the island. Uh, and Ben is just simply trying to break Locke down. What's the thing that Locke holds most dear? Those numbers putting them into the computer, pushing the button. And Ben is attacking head-on at that to try and turn him into uh, into a pawn. With that, the show takes us back to Hurley on the Cliff. Uh, Libby is just once again so honest, so from the heart. You know, excellent, excellent acting out of her. The Giacchino music swirls and uh, descends, capturing the emotion of the scene. Um, Hurley questions the reality of all of this with Libby speaking, uh, sympathetically, listening sympathetically. Uh, Hurley asks, do you remember how I said I knew you from somewhere? At that moment, Libby's face darkens and for a moment, all the kindness is gone. She looks like she's holding, holding back. Um, Hurley, however, isn't, you know, it's kind of a rhetorical question, um, he continues to wonder if he made Libby up. So don't tell me that that wasn't real. And don't tell me you made me up. It's insulting. When you saw me on the beach this morning, was I holding a slipper? Libby, with tears in her eyes, communicates just such powerful emotion. Really is the stuff of acting and drama that words can't quite capture. They, of course, kiss, and as they kiss, a tear falls down Libby's cheek. Whether it's brilliant acting or planning, it's just wonderful. It's a kiss that seals the deal for what these two have. Uh what they're starting to have anyway, uh, something that's true and genuine, despite how short-lived it's going to be. Uh, and I appreciate, too, that in Libby's close-up, um, her age shows a bit with the bags under her eyes. 
uh, it speaks to all that they've been through uh, and speaks to the trauma uh, that, that she's lived through in particular, something that we're about to, to learn about. Still, it's just a, just a beautiful relationship, uh, albeit short-lived and uh, short-lived indeed, and perhaps even broken, as we see from Libby's little flashback. She has here a look on her face of somebody who's just uh, hiding a terrible, terrible secret, as we learn about. Why don't you get a little closer together? Say cheese. Cheese. Great. So you need uh, some water to go with that? Nope, I'm good. The reveal of Libby being something very, very different than she claims to be, I found watching, it really is something that hurts. The pure and genuine connection that we see on islands feels like it risks being washed away by an ending that would be almost mean if it wasn't a show that normally sprang surprises on us. Uh, perhaps I'm being overly sentimental with this episode, Um but I, I just found that I really responded to the emotion of it. Uh, the performance uh, that, that, that she gives. Um, I mean, it's kind of, I feel like I'm repeating the same words over and over. The connection, the honesty, the heartfeltness, the earnestness. But it, um, you know, Hurley is the character that we root for uh, from day one. He's the lovable one. He's the one who doesn't quite fit in the way, uh, you know, the way perhaps we feel, whether it's, you know, looks or intelligence or social graces or whatever, whatever situation we, the audience might, might be in sometimes where we feel we don't quite fit in Hurley kind of is the external projection of that in the show. And for him to, uh, for him to have this hope at something sweet and nice and pure, uh, it's such a wonderful, um, suggestion that the show places and then it's it's a painful it's a painful ending because it 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 takes that away it takes something away from our favorite character takes something away from our um you know the character who's the kindest and the nicest and concerned about about people and uh you know leads for for quite a zinger um she, of course, Libby, has just uh, a couple of episodes left before uh, before she's killed. And then uh, even with that, there's a, only a handful of episodes left for her as a, as a cast member. I know she appears in the, in the finale. Um, and then uh, I personally am looking really forward to seeing her return at the end of season six. I mean, it was, it, it, it was um, pleasant and wonderful uh on the first go round but i think that uh with the time placed between having this episode at the forefront of your mind and uh and that that perhaps a bit of the emotional potency washed away but only a bit i mean we get to look forward to you know just that that the return of that joy and um i suppose for all that the show takes away here and for all that it breaks our hearts, you know, there's the uh, it, it's another uh, example in the finale of uh, things working out and us uh, us 
being able to see everyone again and and that sort of uh that sort of thing. I hope I'm not being overly sentimental, but it really was an episode that uh that touched me emotionally. I'm not quite sure why, but uh but it did and um certainly a new favorite, something on my on my proverbial top 10 now for lost. So with that the episode is over, but uh certainly the goodies are not. Let's take a look at Lostpedia. Uh, I'll mention too, we're going to do a bit from Lostpedia and also a bit from Wikipedia. Uh, generally, Wikipedia has uh, inferior, if any, information on these episodes beyond a, a rather concise uh, summary. Um, this actually had more, uh, Wikipedia actually had more information about the most interesting trivia of this episode, which we will get to in a moment. First, though, from Lostpedia. This was the only episode of the entire show to end with a flashback scene until the season six episode, Ab Eterno. Notably, both ending flashbacks were from a different perspective than the centric character. Dave ending with a Libby flashback instead of Hurley, and Ab Eterno ending with a man in black, fat, man in black flashback instead of Richard. Uh, through the Looking Glass Part 2 at the end of season three, and numerous episodes including The Economist, G. Yan, and The Shape of Things to Come in season four ended with flash forwards. So there you go. Uh, also from Lostpedia, in Dr. Brooks's office, you can see behind Hurley a large picture of an island, which clearly is meant to be uh, tweaking our noses a bit at the notion of all this being a dream. There, you know, where's the island that he keeps uh, dreaming about, hallucinating about? There it is behind Brooks. Um, so a nice bit of uh, production or set dressing, I suppose it would be. Uh, when Hurley is playing Connect Four with Leonard Sims, who's saying the numbers over and over again, Leonard always says the number eight very loud and stern. This is Hurley's candidate number. Uh, fun bit of trivia there. I doubt it's intentional, but it's one of these you know happy coincidences that uh, that work out so well. Now here's the good stuff. Here's the last bit of Lostpedia, and then there's a, a lengthy, uh, larger bit about it on Wikipedia. ABC executives rejected the original draft for this episode, arguing that the idea that the story could all be in Hurley's head was offering an explanation for the show as a whole. It's not known what changes uh, have been done to the plot to address those concerns. Hopefully, hopefully they just, in a very kind way to the people at ABC who are paying the bills, just you know, basically said, shut the heck up. Uh, we have a super intelligent audience. Look at what they did with this Blast door map, although perhaps ABC had, you know, that episode hadn't aired when there were these concerns. But, you know, look at all these theories. Look at what all these people do uh, to think about the show. And the fact that a hallucination says this all might be a hallucination might upset the apple cart, you know. Anyhow, Wikipedia explains more about this. ABC was concerned about the content of the episode, arguing that the idea that the story could all be in Hurley's head was offering an explanation for the show as a whole of a similar start here, since a recurring theory among the fandom was that the events of the series were hallucinations. The character of Dave was meant to be a side of Hurley, who felt he had no problem, and encourages Hurley to overeat, uh, and is played by Evan Handler in a way director Jack Bender described as mischievous and imp-ish-like. Showrunner Carlton Cuse revealed his name, great bit here, his name comes from Hurley's father, David Reyes who would later appear in the series played by Cheech Marin, uh, because the writers, quote, wanted Hurley to imagine a friend 
and have that be wrapped up in his unresolved relationship with his dad. Excellent tidbit there. Excellent, excellent. Last little bit here from Wikipedia, which is delicious. The final scene with Libby was so secret that only Jack Bender and his assistant director had it in their scripts. And to prevent Libby from being the only woman in the mental institution, every woman on set, including Bender's daughter Sophie, was dressed in robes and pajamas to appear as background characters. So this was an episode that they took very seriously. Not that, you know, they don't love every episode equally, the way blah, blah, blah. But this clearly was going to be an important episode to them. And uh, I think it's evidenced by the writing. It certainly is evidenced by the the acting. Um, it's, uh, it's a very special episode, not to use that overused phrase for TV. But with that, let's look ahead to next week. Next week will be episode 219, SOS which is the Rose and Bernard episode, the wonderful Rose and Bernard episode. Uh, A reminder that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcast Network on Mondays. You can also check out the PH Geek podcast, where we talk about a variety of geeky things. Also, uh, and that's available at uh, phgeek.podbean.com. Also, if you are psyched about uh, the upcoming show Alcatraz, Uh, which will be airing uh, on Fox in January. We're putting together an Alcatraz podcast. There's already one episode out, available at alcatraz.podbean.com or on iTunes by searching for the Alcatraz podcast by phgeek.com. Anyhow, back to this podcast. If you'd like to share your feedback, uh, you can do that in a bunch of different ways. You can call the voice message line, 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbacklost at gmail.com. And you can always find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. So thank you very much for listening. I'm glad that this was a slightly longer episode as we hit 50 minutes right there. And uh, I will speak to you all again next week for the, uh, the wonderful episode 219 SOS. Take care, and bye-bye.